Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Monday afternoon, everyone. Kip Harrods here with your Daily VRA Investing Podcast. Wow, uh, if you're with us last week, you know, we, uh, we had a, just a little bit of a problem with the uh, not just really the market's reaction because you can't blame the market. The market's going to do what the market's going to do. No one's smarter than the market. But <clears throat> if you wanted to pick out a couple of people that you wanted to, I don't know, pick on, you could always pick out Fed members. You can pick out PhD economists. These are the people that we tend to target uh, because they they tend to have a following for some reason. The markets tend to act on what they sometimes say, and that's exactly what happened last week. You know, the Fed had their meeting. Uh, people have gotten used to Jay Powell being, uh, well, the kiss of death, really, for the market. So that wasn't as big a deal. We expected it. Uh, open mouth, insert foot. But it was Jim Bullard that really sent the markets into a tumble last week when Bullard came out and said that he wouldn't be surprised if the Fed raised rates next year. Now, remember, right now they still got $120 billion a month in quantitative easing. They haven't even begun tapering yet. And let's not also <laughs> – I mean, this is, this is where it gets funny because these are the kind of things we remind our clients about. For Bullard to say that the Fed's going to raise rates under a Democrat president – let's just go back in history and consider that – in the grand scheme of things. Under George W. Bush, from 2004 to 2006, the Fed raised rates 17 straight times, 17 straight times. So, you know, in case, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, you've forgotten some history about what actually caused the housing crash and then what caused the, uh, the financial crisis that followed immediately after. Um, there you go, folks. 17 straight rate hikes under George W. Bush that's what did it. We wrote about it often at the time. People seem to have forgotten this. We haven't. Uh, so anyway, there we go. 73 times under W. Then we had Obama. <clears throat> By the way, is it? you think it might be possible that that's how Obama got elected? But we know he got elected in part because the, the economy crashed. But again, the Fed raised him 73 times. We find that very interesting. Who did the Fed want to be president, McCain or Obama? Well, he, Obama wound up eight years in office. So uh, how many times did the Fed raise rates under Obama's eight years? A whole one time. And then we get a Trump, another Republican president, right? How many times did the Fed raise rates under Trump in just his first, inside of his first two years, not even a full two years? The Fed raised rates eight times. Folks, add it up. That's 25 rate hikes in Bush's uh, second term and Trump's First, inside of first two years, 25 straight rate hikes to one rate hike under a Democrat. No one's talking about it. We find it very interesting, and we point it out now because the odds are we put the odds at zero. If I could say like negative rates and in, in, in what we have in Japan and Germany, I would say that. I'd put the odds at negative, but to, to make the point, we'll just say zero, that, 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 that the Fed's going to raise rates <laughs> – any point before the midterms, probably at any point in uh, in Biden's uh, first term altogether, assuming that he serves out his first term and, and Harris doesn't jump in there. But again, that's what set the markets into a tizzy. It was Jim Bullard saying he thought the Fed could raise rates as soon as next year. Here came the selling pressure. But folks, it was just the Fed was just setting, really, they, it was a reset. You look at what happened today in the markets, and, and I think what we pointed out last week uh, held a lot of water 
Tyler went through this in, in depth in his podcast last week, as did I on Wednesday and Thursday. I forget the days we do, do them now. I know Tyler's on Friday went through in great detail exactly what we're talking about here. The point being, to, 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 to break through all of this, is that there's a, cult, there's a cult following at the Federal Reserve. And the reason that's the case is that it's almost impossible today to find any economist, a PhD economist, right, for any big Wall Street firm or anybody that you're going to see on TV or see in print media, it's impossible to find any of them that do not work for the Fed. And I don't mean directly necessarily. A lot of them are. They take direct payments. The Fed employs right now 800 economists that are on their payroll. That's most of the people you see on television. The others they employ via indirect payments, research partnerships, or obscure PhD scholarships. All of this has been very well documented over the years. I think mo- more people should know this, don't you? Uh, and, if, and if you really want to know the truth about, about the Federal Reserve, pick up, pick up the classic, right? Pick up the classic from G. Edward Griffin, the creature from Jekyll Island, to great summer read that will walk through the creation of the Fed, the truth about fiat currency and all these things. Because, again, you're just not going to hear it on TV. You're not going to see it in most print and in, in, in mainstream media, of course. And no one on CNBC or Bloomberg is ever going to talk about it. Because if they did, they would never appear on television again. Um, so far, uh, you know, we haven't had our podcast threatened. But uh, I've had a few bank accounts closed over the years for, for talking about this. And that's just the reality of it. Okay. Uh, but um, – yeah, I, th- I think, don't you think more people should know that every economist pretty much is on the Fed payroll? Wouldn't that make some kind of a difference? Shouldn't that be a disclaimer they have to put, <laughs> they have to put on uh, beneath their, uh, their title, beneath their name when they're on television or making a, a, a media appearance? I, I think uh, more people should know about that. Our view really is unchanged. Last week was a buying opportunity. Last week was a big buying opportunity. We'll explain why in just a moment. And that, uh, folks, before this is all over, Rates have declined for 40 years. Interest rates have declined for 40 years. Rates are negative in Japan and Germany. They're almost certain. We believe it's highly likely that interest rates are going negative in the U.S. before all this is said and done. This is the financial engineering that's taking place right now and has been taking place from our master of the universe. It's a big contrarian call. We know that. But you know what? Three years ago, we were saying rates were going, the 10-year was going below 1%. People laughed at us then. Uh, two years ago, we told everybody that the, the world needs more debt. The world's asking and screaming for more debt, not less. Obviously, we've had a lot more debt. And, uh, and now we be- I believe, certainly, I-, I think Tyler's in the camp with me. I'm not quite sure, frankly, if he really uh, believes this is going to happen. But I, again, I'd say likely that we're going to see U.S. rates head to negative territory uh, and, and the ramifications are just extraordinary. They really are, from real estate to housing. Uh, I, I, I got to share this with you as well in housing. Because, you know, housing, like a lot of uh, Tyler points out for the podcast today, we've seen a big pullback in, in value stocks, housing among them, and uh, material stocks. You know, these are screaming buys. By the, I, I don't care for the bank stocks. I don't care for retail stocks, but just me. But I, I, I certainly care about our, our leading economic indicators in the VR investing system, which are housing and transportation. Uh, you know, trucking, rail, all these things, they tell you exactly what's about to happen based on what is happening on the ground. And they lead both the economy and the stock markets. And they are screaming buys right now. Housing, 
uh, transportation stocks. These are great buys at these points, material stocks, because all of this happened. The Fed has been overdone. Uh, everybody got so bulled up about the global reflation trade that at the first sign of the Fed saying we may pull the punch bowl, they get destroyed. That's just another hint right there that the Fed can't pull the punch bowl probably ever. Quantitative easing is here to stay. We call it QE infinity. Uh, you may not like it. It may seem like the worst thing in the world. It almost certainly is. But folks, this is our system. This is the financial engineering that's taking place. And we continue to see this as extremely bullish. For example, let me talk about housing. We, we, if, you, if you know us much, you know we've talked about millennials. We've talked about how they've been shortchanged over the years. They're called the laziest generation. They're still living in their parents' basements. Uh, they're, they're not smart. Uh, whatever, snowflakes, whatever, you, whatever uh, millennials have been called, it's all wrong. It's all exactly wrong. They will prove to be the smartest and the wealthiest generation of all uh, based on our work. And we're getting more evidence of this now. This applies directly to the housing markets. Uh, a decade ago, the, top, the, the most common ages, the 10 most common ages, were all in the, in the 30, 40, 50 range. Folks, they're almost all now from 25 to 35. These are prime time buying years. This is why when you go to an open house, this is why you see uh, homes being sold uh, you know, above their asking price, snapped up just like that. Yes, of course. BlackRock's out there buying. Bill Gates is out there buying. Warren Buffett's out there buying. But they're buying because they know they can see the demographics. They know where the housing market is headed. They'll be selling into the top in a decade plus. But, folks, that's a long way off. Again, as a leading economic indicator, we have to continue to buy dips because this market is just dirt cheap compared to where it's going, compared to where corporate earnings are going. It's like Wayne Gretzky. You know, you don't skate to where the puck is. You skate to where the puck is going to be. Uh, this is the basis of the VRA investing system. This is why we remain extraordinarily bullish. And you got to just keep backing up the truck and kind of hold your nose uh, to buy these dips. That's what we were doing last week. And uh, that's what is in result. We think the market's recognizing that. Big day today in the markets. Probably should have started with this. Got a little carried away there. Dow Jones today. Boy, it just was a just, just wow. What a day. Open strong. All it did was build strength. Dow Jones finishing up 586 points. At 33,876, that's a big 1.8%. Again, the Dow Jones is more value-oriented than a lot of these indexes, and so that's why it led to these stocks were destroyed. Most value stocks, of course, last week. Russ 2000 Day was actually our winner. Uh, Russ 2000 also got hit hard. Uh, R2K today up 2.1%. Uh, next up was SP500 up 1.4%. Again, another good day there. Uh, 58 points at 42.24. A bit of a trading range that's developed there in the summer, but again, there's an upward bias to all these charts. And when you see, like last week on Thursday, no less, the Qs, the NASDAQ 100 at an all-time high, had an all-time high last week, of course, SP 500. All-time highs are, uh, <laughs> for, it's kind of crazy, but we're seeing people, so-called experts online, gurus, saying that new all-time highs are bearish, and uh, you have to forgive us, forgive our laughter at that comment. There's nothing but bullishness. When an index or a market or a stock is hitting an all-time high, anyone that's trying to shade that truth or fade it, uh, I would recommend uh, probably following somebody else if I can be so um, over the top about it. NASDAQ today, uh, which of course has been leading from the 512 capitulation lows, we continue to like tech growth momentum because every great bull market 
is led by semis who lead NASDAQ, who leads the broad market. That's still the bull market we're in. NASDAQ today up 111 points at 14,141. A couple other notes here. Again, the 10-year is still one below 1.5%. Okay, again, our view headed much lower. The VIX today got destroyed down 13.5% at 17.89. The VIX is still way too high. Uh, in our view, it's heading, heading a lot, a lot lower. And again, another just amazing point. We made this last week. We continue to make this point. If there was a single reason, <clears throat> besides the things we've always already talked about, the things we talk about regularly, if there was a single reason, just one, that you had to back up the truck and be a buyer of this market. As you know, we're, we think this market's going a lot higher in the next four or five years. But if there was a single reason, above all, that you'd be using the pullback we just had to buy, it'd be investor sentiment. The fear and greed index on Friday hit 30. 30! That's on a 0 to 100 scale, right? Uh, that's fear territory. Even today, it's at 33. Folks, this is not how bull markets end. Bull markets end when everybody's bullish and think the market can't go lower. Bull markets end when every, we have a big pullback and you don't see the, the, the sentiment indicators. They don't change at all. We'll be telling you to sell years from now, likely, when we're at Dow Jones 75,000 or whatever it gets to and we have a 5% correction but the sentiment indicators don't change at all. They remain elevated at greed territory. But for us to be at 33 on the fear and greed index, and for so many of these other indicators to have never shown excessive, you know, like euphoric kind of greed levels when the markets are hitting all-time high after all-time high, just tells you the public is still scared. That's not how market tops occur. We make this point a lot because our, if, if you get the market direction right, everything else becomes a whole lot easier. But you have to know what the, what the broad market direction is. And, folks, it's just higher. It's just a lot higher. Use these pullbacks to continue buying your favorite stocks, the ones that you know and love. Continue to dollar cost average on a monthly basis. And then uh, you'll be able to make a, a really a fortune, uh, just a fortune in this market in the years to come. That's, continue, that, that's just how we've seen it for some time. We continue to see it that way. Let's take a look at the internals that under the hood. Uh, they were good, but, frankly, not great. Uh, I, I probably would tell you we're going to have a little more backing and filling as great as today was. The internals were not better today than they were poor last week. We did have a week of poor internals. Again, this tells you the market's working out some issues, uh, rotational themes between tech and value, et cetera. And then, of course, the, the Federal Reserve's concerns and Jim Bullard's ridiculous statement about raising rates next year. It's laughable. They're not going to do anything to hurt Biden. They're not going to do anything to hurt the midterms for Democrats. The Fed and uh, Democrats have a very special bond, as history has proven well. But the internals were good today. Let's take a look. NASDAQ today, advanced decline, was not even 2 to 1 positive, but that's okay. We're right at 2 to 1 positive up-down volume. NYSE was a much better story. 3 to 1 positive NYSE for advanced decline. And up-down volume today came in at 80% positive for an NYSE. That's great. But again, it doesn't negate the negative readings on Friday, which were 86% downside volume today. Uh, again, I'm just saying I think we've got a little more backing and filling here before we probably put in a firm bottom. It's just, just really my feel. Uh, but again, on dips, we're still buyers. Uh, in the uh, uh, sector watch today, 
what do we have? I think it was a, I just got a refreshment screen here. It was a pretty good day for sector performance here. Also, by the way, we had uh, new 52-week highs and lows came in uh, uh, solid again today. Another positive rating. We had 212 stocks hitting new 52-week highs to just uh, 81 hitting new 52-week lows. Uh, we've only had five days this year with negative readings in new 52-week highs and lows. Uh, in our uh, sector watch today, all 11 S&P 500 sectors finished higher on the day, led by energy up a big 4.2%. We are long and strong in this group, as you probably know. And uh, we think oil's headed to uh, – Tyler called it last year. He targeted $100 a barrel, and uh, he was right then. I, I, think he's got, I think he's right. I think oil's going a lot higher, folks. Energy stocks are leading is what you want to see. That was our best sector today. Financials recovering today up 2.3%. Industrials up 2.1%. Again, all 11 sectors higher on the day. Oil today, again, strong day-to-day on our commodity watch. Oil today up $1.77 a barrel, 73.08 now. First time over 73. What is that? Since 2018, 73.08 a barrel, up 2.5%, up $1.77 a barrel. Uh, gold recovered today. Again, negative rates, negative, negative rates. Uh, forget about where the tenure is for a second, Okay. The real rate, which is the uh, the ten year, uh, the, the 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 nominal ten year yield, which again is one point four eight percent, minus the inflation rate. We'll use the CPI as a gauge there. You're looking at negative rates of better than 080 percent. Negative real rates. There is no more bullish sign to buy to buy precious metals and miners than this, and uh, that's why there's such a great buy in this pullback. Gold today at fourteen dollars an ounce, headed a whole lot higher. Even with the manipulation, they continue to, uh, to to place on us here. Gold at seventeen eighty three an ounce today. Silver was flat at twenty six dollars an ounce. Copper today also pretty much flat at two cents a pound at four eighteen a pound. We love both silver and copper here. Uh, again, oil at seventy three oh eight a big today. And finally for the day, Bitcoin today down twenty nine hundred dollars a Bitcoin at thirty two thousand five hundred. Uh, look, we've liked Bitcoin for a long time. It's just not looking great in the charts now. It is a head and shoulders pattern. If it breaks 30,000, it's going lower. Uh, it's been below the 200-day moving average now for a couple weeks. And that the longer that happens, right now the 200-day moving average is just over 42,000 Bitcoin. So Bitcoin needs to get legs here. We feel like it's going to have a flushable moment. And if it breaks 30,000, it's probably going to head lower. Again, we're, we're buyers. We're buyers on dips here, but it does not look good right on the charts. Still probably too many bulls. And there's so many better options really for your money right now. In cryptocurrencies, there just are. Uh, investors are falling back in love with stocks for a very good reason. We think that's where the action is going to be for some time, uh, and that Bitcoin is probably going to go through period of basing here. Just the way we've seen that for some time continues to be our view. Folks, as always, we appreciate you joining us here. Join us full time at vrainsider.com. Again, vrainsider.com. We'll see you back here again tomorrow after the close.